You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. The Lumina Group here, as we kind of broadly call the the umbrella uh, group, is a group that was founded by Ross Beattie in about 2002. And then more recently, Ross had a view in 2013, 2014, that, that gold was at a, at a cyclical bottom. He wanted to put together some large scale gold deposits that uh, would, would do well and flourish in, in a bullish gold market. So right now we're sitting at uh, 17 million ounces of gold and over two billion pounds of copper at the project and you know this is the type of project that your your barracks your new monster are looking for where they can get that large scale production out of out of one asset and not having to piece together you know two or three smaller assets to get that kind of half million ounce of, of production production level so right now I mean Marshall and the team are really focused on de-risking the key technical elements that might might hang up a buyer and then you know driving the project uh, towards a monetization event Welcome back to Mining Stock Education. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Bill Powers, your host. And today we are going to be engaging in a company profile interview with a new sponsor of the show. The company is Lumina Gold Corp. Website is luminagold.com. The ticker is LUM in Toronto and LMGDF in New York. Mining legend Ross Beattie owns just shy of 20% of this company and of Lumina's recent Canadian $9 million financing, Ross bought over half of that. So he's a huge supporter and investor, making sure that this company uh, progresses towards success. And in addition to Ross's involvement, uh, Lumina has an experienced management team with a successful track record of advancing and monetizing exploration projects. And we're going to talk about that. So today I'm happy to welcome Scott Hicks onto the show. Scott is the Vice President of Corporate Development and Communications with Lumina Gold. Scott, thanks for joining me today. And how about we start by learning a little more about the pedigree of your your company's management team? Sure. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Really appreciate it. The Lumina Group here, as we kind of broadly call the, the umbrella uh, group, is... Um, a group that was founded by Ross Beattie in about 2002. Um, our key management here, our CEO Marshall Koval and our head geologist Leo Hathaway, um, have really been working with Ross since 2004 on all the companies that uh, have been managed by the group. Um, the initial companies were put together as a as a play on copper and a view that the copper price was going to increase dramatically, uh, which it, it did. Um, and through that, there was about six different companies uh, that were sold uh, over the years and, and a lot of large scale um, porphyry discoveries. I'd say that's kind of the group's bread and butter, uh, if you will. And, uh, you know, that there was a lot of success through that. And then more recently, Ross had a view in, you know, 2013, 2014, that, that gold was at a, at a cyclical bottom. Uh, and he wanted to put together some large scale gold deposits that uh, would, would do well and flourish in, in a bullish gold market. Um, I'd say that we're kind of just, you know, now starting to see 
all these predictions come to uh, fruition as we've kind of traded up from the $1,200 to $1,500 level here. Um, and it's really the same technical team that's working on these new uh, large-scale gold projects. And that's that's what we have in Lumina Gold and, and what we have in our sister company, uh, Luminex Resources. And those two companies are, are focused in Ecuador. Yes, and in the future we'll be featuring uh, Luminex as well. Well, the flagship project that you have for Lumina Gold is your Congreos project. How about you give us an overview, a uh, high-level overview of this project and what are some of the key features? Sure. So when we, uh, when we actually initially started working on this project it was in two pieces uh, the mineral rights and it was an old uh, Newmont project that they had drilled back in the late 90s early 2000s um, if you recall gold had kind of dropped to two three hundred dollar an ounce type levels back then and a Newmont had really pulled out of their their exploration um, in peripheral countries um, and then it had been returned to the two owners at the time so we d- acquired um, majority ownership in our predecessor company, Odin, in uh, 2014 through a financing. Uh, and we had about half of the Congreos project. And we did some drilling um, on that half. And then in 2016, we acquired the other half of the, the mineral concessions and, and put the whole thing together. Um, we started drilling the second half in 2018, and that's uh, an area we'll talk about later, which is the second deposit on the property. That, but they're very close together and, and really will be developed as, as one mine. Um, so we've now been working on the project since 2014. Uh, we've drilled about 50,000 meters at the project. Um, we've put out three resource updates and, and one uh, preliminary economic assessment uh, over that time period. Uh, the project itself is down in, in southwest Ecuador, um, very close to Machala, uh, very close to the coast and the port. Um, the area has excellent infrastructure. You can you can fly in uh, to an, a small town called Santa Rosa um, on a normal commercial flight. You can be at the project at the camp in just over an hour. Um, we've got hydropower to site. We've got water. It's not a high elevation project. You're you're only at about uh, 1,300 meters. So unlike a lot of these big Andes porphyry systems, um, you know you're you're lower down, so you don't have those challenges. And um, there's no communities directly on the deposits, so um, you know very positive from a social perspective. And and our dealings with the surrounding community over the years, which the nearest town's about seven kilometers away from the project. Uh, so, you know, it ticks a lot of the boxes um, that usually people get hung up on in these large-scale projects. I'm going to put a link in the show notes below to the PowerPoint presentation so that you can click on that. If you're listening to audio form only and you're not driving, you can even click on that as uh, Scott and I continue this discussion. Scott, uh, tell us a little more about this project in terms of the resource and what were some of the highlights of the initial PEA? Sure. So, I mean, when we first got the second half of the project, Project, that really allowed us to put out an initial resource and and bill that was about four million ounces of gold so you know a fairly large project uh, conventional open pit um, and at that point the drilling had gone you know about three to four hundred meters deep 
Um, and that was that was our initial resource. We started drilling deeper at the project and we found a, a higher grade zone underneath that initial resource. And that allowed us to over double it in 2017, late 2017. So that took us to about 8.8 million ounces of gold at the project and, and just over a billion pounds of copper. Um, and that that really was a, a game changer from our perspective. And, and we knew we'd we'd kind of gone on to this huge, huge system at that point. Um, we did a PA on that resource, the 8.8 million ounces. And what that outlined is really a project that would be a top 15 development project uh, globally, um, you know, by size of production, a, a project that could produce on average about 370,000 ounces a year of gold and about 50-ish uh, million pounds of copper a year as a byproduct. Um and, you know, at that point, that was really before we'd even started to explore the second half that we acquired in, in 2016. And, and subsequent to that, you know, we've now uh, drilled that side of it and once again uh, doubled the resource. So right now we're sitting at uh, 17 million ounces of gold and over 2 billion pounds of copper at the project. That's a massive project. How does the CapEx with your current study compare to other projects of this size? Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, we we took a phased approach and we tried to keep it um, reasonable. You know, there's obviously a lot of large scale projects, or not a lot, but there's several large scale projects out there that have, you know, whether it's a four or five, six billion dollar capex. And and our view was, you know, those aren't the type of projects that we're getting are getting built in this environment. Um, we started out with a 40,000 ton per day operation in the PEA that you could build for about $830 million US. Um, and we viewed this as, as an approachable project for a, for a mid-tier or a, or a major gold producer. Um, and then, you know, after that, you would use cash flow from the mine to step up to that 80,000 ton per day level. And then at that point, you'd be producing, you know, over 400,000 ounces of gold a year. And, you know, this is the type of project that your your barracks, your new monster are looking for, where they can get that large scale production out of out of one asset and not having to piece together, you know, two or three smaller assets to get that kind of half million ounce of, of production production level. So, you know, the CapEx would be uh, very good when compared to other large scale open pit milling projects because of the infrastructure I mentioned previously. So, you know, you're only 40 kilometers from a deep sea port. You don't have to build a giant man camp. You can bust in your labor. Um, a lot of different things like that help out on the infrastructure side. Mark Bristow, the CEO of Barrick, has gone on record saying he wants in projects at least a half a million ounces of gold per year pr- production for at least 10 years. So as I was going over your presentation, this project is headed in that direction. But uh, Scott, as you know, one thing that happens with a lot of these large projects is they can kind of get stuck for a period of years, even decades. What are you doing to make sure that this project doesn't just stay stagnant for years on end? Yeah, great question. So, I mean, we wanted to make a project that worked at that $1,300 gold level. That was our focus. Um, the original PA outlined a project that works at $1,300. It had about a 15% IRR, which for this scale of project is is good. I mean, you know, you'll see some of these smaller um underground projects that you can build for less capex and yes yeah, they might have a higher irr but they're they're done their mine lives in you know six to eight years whereas 
this is a project that in our PEA um, showed that it lasts at least 16 years. And since we've doubled the resource again, you know, we now think we have a mine that will go for somewhere in that 25 to 30 year range. And, and when you're these large scale companies, that's what you want because you want a mine that's up and running and is exposed to the cycles. And, you know, you want that, that production leverage for when you hit a good running gold and and you know when you look back historically that's how all these producers have really made their money is just having these mines operating when you hit these peaks in the cycle um and that's that's something we think that you find at congreos here um and it ticks those boxes for for the large scale guys your team is not new at monetizing these assets so uh, you're paying attention to the gold cycle as you referenced and what would be the catalyst for this year when investors look at lumina gold and the congreos project what are the catalysts that they should be looking for a lot of the work we're doing right now is is really refining the mine plan refining the flow sheet um, that'll be, you know, news that we have out in the next month or so here. And then really going into this updated PEA that's going to come out in, in April or May of this year. Um, and that's going to demonstrate, you know, this extremely long life project with, with very large scale, uh, production. And, and that's the key catalyst for the year. Um, you know, we viewed last year, the, the new resources, an important catalyst to understand how, how much we had there and, you know, on the back of that and the, the de-risking work we've done at the project, we now feel comfortable going out and, and talking to other corporates because um, we have a better understanding of what we had there. Whereas pro- previously, we didn't really want to do that because we were still doing that exploratory work. So right now, I mean, Marshall and the team are really focused on de-risking the key technical elements um, that might might hang up a buyer um, and then, you know, driving the project uh, towards a monetization event. So at almost 17 million ounces of gold, the goal would not be to increase the another million ounces of, of gold in the resource. No, that's not the current goal. I mean, you know, we we stopped the drilling late uh, last year and we picked a, a cutoff um, that we would use for the resource and use for the PEA study. You could definitely keep going to the Northwest. Um, you could easily probably add uh, several million ounces more if you kept drilling in that direction. Um, but, you know, we viewed that we have a large enough project right now uh, and we really want to focus on the economics and the things that are going to be important to a buyer. What about your treasury and burn rate? You just raised $9 million. Uh, how long will that last you with uh, what you have planned for this year? Sure. So, I mean, the study we're undertaking and some of the engineering work right now would be would be um, a couple million dollars uh, in that area of, of budget. And then, um, you know, continuing uh, other de-risking work at the project. So we'd anticipate that that gets us uh, well into 2020 and, and through you know, most of the year. And, and obviously the magic team, as we kind of dual track de-risking it and talking to other corporates, will we'll look to um, – hopefully have that be the last dollars that get put into the company here. So we've talked about Ross Beatty as being a key cornerstone shareholder, but what more can you tell us about who owns the shares? And also I'm looking here, you have over 300 million shares outstanding. Uh, could you address the share structure too, please? Sure. So between Ross uh, management and the board, uh, that would be approximately about 30% of, of the shareholdings. Um, we have a 
an Ecuadorian entrepreneur who supported the group um, over our time in country that's at about nine and a large fund out of San Francisco called Route One uh, that has about 6%. So, you know, that's about almost half of the ownership of the stock. Um, issued an outstanding shares right now, we're at about 330 million shares outstanding, uh, fully diluted about 340. 43 million no warrants uh, right now and uh, all of our past financings have have not had warrants attached to them um, you know it's the nice thing about having obviously Ross as a cornerstone investor is um, you know it helps dictate the a fairly tight discount for a company this this size in this stage uh, and obviously you know kind of keeps warrants out of the mix which is nice um, you know our trading range over the last 52 weeks has been about 50 cents to 73 cents Canadian. We're sitting at uh, 64 cents uh, as we're talking today. What about Ecuador? Ecuador has uh, had its highs and its lows. It seems to be on an upswing. I'm sure that this is an objection or concern you get from investors. Uh, For my listeners, what can you share about the jurisdiction of Ecuador? You know, over the last five years, the government has worked fairly hard at improving the mining uh, environment there. And, and that really started with them engaging Wood McKenzie, bringing in an outside consultant to look at how to reshape the mining laws. You know, a lot of your viewers or listeners might have remembered um, Kinross being a player back in the day that that exited the country. And, and that was really under a different regime and different time. And, and so much has changed since then. So, you know, they've simplified the tax system. They got rid of a very punitive windfall tax. Um, they've opened up the concession system to new exploration. Uh, we've seen two large-scale mines get completed there late last year. So the, the main gold project that was completed is, is Fruta del Norte, a large uh, underground uh, gold deposit. And they're now shipping uh, concentrate and dore from the site. And then we've also seen uh, the Chinese build a large copper gold porphyry there. Uh, and this is in the southeast of the country over by the Peruvian border. And that project is called Mirador. Uh, so they're now shipping copper concentrate out of there. And that would be a similar scale project to what uh, Congrejos will become eventually as far as you know tonnage and throughput. So having seen these two projects permitted, built, uh, and now producing is a massive positive for the country. And in that specific province where those uh, projects are, you know, we've seen uh, huge increases in economic activity and GDP um, you know, Lundin is very focused on community and buying, buying and sourcing things locally and having a large local labor force. So these are all things that are, you know, helping Ecuador realize that, that mining is, is positive for the country and also, um, you know, very different from the oil and gas uh you know, that they used to be based on and still oil is a big part of the GDP. But, you know, these are, it's realizing that, you know, it's not just dollars leaving the country right away. It's, you know, a bigger knock on uh, impact in the communities and all the supporting infrastructure for these mines that, you know, will go on for years and years and years. And, and that's something that the government has been um, championing and also, you know, differentiating between uh, the illegal mining that's happened in the country in the past uh, with small artisanals versus these, you know, larger, more responsible companies that are coming in and taking uh, taking a long term view and uh, and a more socially responsible approach. In terms of potential buyers of the project, considering uh, the jurisdiction of Ecuador, we did see recently that uh, the Chinese miner 
did make that offer for Continental Gold in Colombia. Is there any uh, related takeaways we could take from that regarding your project here? Yeah, I think I think some of the M and A we saw late last year was was really uh, positive for what we're looking to do. I mean, we saw on the production side, and and obviously in a in a Western jurisdiction, we saw a detour get taken out, um, which I think showed the larger companies are valuing these um you know big large scale assets that have the production potential and then second to your question you know we saw continental get taken over and and i think i'd view colombia as a similar jurisdictional risk to ecuador and depending on which parts of the country you're in potentially maybe even riskier um, so it was good to see that happen and really people taking a view that, um, you know, this is an area for growth in, in Latin America. The market cap of Lumina is about 210 to $215 million Canadian approximately right now. What are the sunk costs you have sunk into this company and project? Yeah, so I mean, Newmont would have spent probably something in the order of about $5 million historically. And then our group has raised... Um, approximately, you know, I'd say something in the order of $70 million Canadian. Um, and that's all gone into those projects um, over the years. So, you know, uh, somewhere in that 70 to $80 million sunk cost type range. As you look forward this year, you mentioned some catalysts and goals of the company. But as you know, and as you, you have experienced, I'm sure, things don't always go the way we want. So what would be some key things that you could foresee that would be one of the most possible hiccups? And what would you do to address it? Yeah, so I think it's important for your, your listeners to, you know, understand that Ecuador is a it is just like every country, it's it's complicated and there's different areas and different, um, obviously different local governments. And, you know, fortunately, our projects in both Lumina and Luminex are in what we view as excellent areas of Ecuador. Um, most of the country is moving towards being mining friendly. You know, there's some different headlines you might see out of um, a specific province that none of our projects are in, for example, called Zwai. So, um, you know, where they're a little bit more against mining. Um, and, you know, we've seen some headline risk out of there. Um, in October, we obviously saw uh, they tried to increase uh, fuel prices in the country and take away the fuel subsidy. So we saw 10 days of, of unrest, you know, and at that point in time, for example, our stocks traded down fairly significantly. Um, but our projects weren't affected at all. The work kind of continued at site. There was no um, no real issues from our perspective. So, and as soon as the fuel subsidy got put back in place, um, you know, everything righted itself basically immediately. So, you know, in these jurisdictions, there is that, there is that potential for headline risk, but, you know, we, we view the long-term trends as positive and, and even taking that fuel subsidy period as an example, um, that was really the government trying to fix their budget deficit. And when you step back and you think about it, um, you know, that is an area where if they can't fix it on the on the cost side, they have to fix it on the revenue side. And, you know, how are they going to generate revenue? Well, it's going to be through economic growth. Um, and we view mining as a very key way for them to do that. So, you know, it's, it's really um, at a macro level, um, understanding that. And then, 
you know, I think the other thing you always have to be mindful of is is your local communities, your local CSR. We do a fair bit to get ahead of that. We do a lot of work in the nearest town, um, whether it's school programs, uh, reforestation programs, building greenhouses for the, the community. Um, hiring out of the community is very important. So it's really doing as much as you can on that side to get ahead of um, potential issues that, that might hang you up when you go to, you know, advance permit and build these projects in the future the company again is lumina gold website is luminagold.com the ticker in toronto is lum and in new york the ticker is lmgdf if you have questions for the company you can go to luminagold.com and there's a contact page right there you can reach out to scott or if you'd like to uh, inquire about the company through me you can do so at bill at miningstockeducation.com. Well, Scott, I really appreciate you uh, sponsoring the show and also giving us an overview of Lumina Gold. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.